Hello, and welcome to Pet Reads, the podcast that celebrates and explores the words written about America's band, the Beach Boys. I'm Ed Main, and each episode I'll be talking to an author about their book or books on the group, as well as discussing their love, fanaticism, and their story following Brian and the Boys. This episode's author is a man that's known, I'm sure, to most, if not everyone, in the Beach Boys world, a man whose knowledge is extraordinary. To be honest with you, that man is Andrew Doe, Andrew G. Doe, and I had a great chat with him about Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys, the complete guide to their music, released in 1997, first of all, and then a revised edition in 2004, which is the version that I have. Um, This was a great chat in person, so enjoy me chatting with Andrew. to welcome to the pod uh, a sage pretty much on the beach boys uh someone who knows more than more than most certainly a lot more than me the author of brian wilson and the beach boys the complete guide to their music it's agd and welcoming andrew doe to the pod welcome andrew thank you very much thank you thank you and this is uh excitingly my first face-to-face interview for the pod you can imagine there's a big bit of water in between most of my interviewees mm-hmm. and myself so okay. it's a delight to meet you and, and welcome you in person now, we'll get on to the book. Okay. Uh, it's it's an invaluable resource, but I will firstly ask you, what were your first introductions to the Beach Boys? Um, my first memory of the Beach Boys was when they were on Ready, Steady, Go in 1964. Uh-huh. Um, only because they screwed up the intro to When I Grow Up. Yes. And even at the age of nine, I was thinking, ow. <laughs> um, and then through the 60s, I was aware of them, uh, probably more so than... Most people who listen to the BBC radio, because my parents listened to Luxembourg and we watched Ready, Steady, Go and the like. And we also listened to the Pirates when they came along. Yes. So we got to hear probably more Beach Boys than uh, you would have if you just listened to, well, it was the light service then, wasn't it? I think, yes, I yeah. keep hearing about these. So uh, the you know, I got to know them, but I wasn't a particular fan um, until summer of 1975 when Nick Kent of the NME, did a three-part article about Brian Wilson. And in those days, with the NME, and in fact with sounds as well, and Melody Maker, the standard of writing was so high. didn't matter if you didn't really like the band. You read it because it was just a pleasure to read. So I read the first extract, which was, it was in the middle of the magazine. So it was four pages. I think in total it was about 30,000 words. And it was like, Hmm. Interesting stuff going on here. And then the next two weeks I read it and it's like, I need to know this music. So the first album I got was Pet Sounds. Whoosh. <laughs> it's like, wow. And the second album I got was Smiley Smile, which was, yeah, it's quite a juxtaposition. But to me, it was just all great music. And I just carried on getting the albums slowly and going through the back catalogue as well. And um, because I have a thing that if something really interests me, I need to know everything about it. And I couldn't find a fan club. Um, I subscribed to a clippings agency. If anybody remembers those. <laughs> um, 
I think it was three pence a clipping back in those days. And I used to get about every two weeks a fairly fat envelope of clippings from the 70s, the 60s, American magazines, and I managed to amass quite a few. Um, then came the big comeback. Still reading Enemy, of course. Came the big comeback in 76. Um, and then in 77, in Sounds, there was a tiny little advert saying Beach Boys fans, so forth and so forth, and subscribe to this magazine called Beach Boys Stomp, uh, which initially was monthly, if you can believe that. It was only about eight pages, twelve pages. Um, and after a while, I realised that I knew as much about this band as the people writing it. So I wrote an article, and in those days it was accepted, because you, know, you can write anything for fanzines. <laughs> and um, I began to write more and more. The name got around. And I discovered that literally three stops down the train line from me, was a guy called John Tobler, who was the one of the co-founders of Zigzag magazine. Superb journalist. Um, went down there to interview him. We became friendly. We began collaborating. Initially, I just researched stuff. Uh, then we did a Doors book together, which didn't do too badly. And then one day he rang me up and he said, come on over, we're doing a Beach Boys book. I went, okay. He'd already done one in 77. And it was The Complete Guide, the 1997 edition. Um, and he said, OK, I've closed the deal. You write it. OK. The format is very strict. You have to go through the albums in chronological order describing the tracks. And for the majority of them, it's track by track. I think the Elvis Presley one, because he's done so many albums, is album by album. I think the Queen one was also album by album. Right. So this is the uh, the format you were, yeah. you're sort of set... Yep. Got to. Can't go away from it. That's the format. I see. So that's the complete guide, dot, mm -hmm. dot, dot. And yep. then, um, yep. as you mentioned, a few of those artists already. I see. Mm -hmm. Wow, okay. But that gave, still gave you lots of chance and width and breadth to to write what you wanted for oh, those. Yeah. I mean, it was... <laughs> they said to me, how many Beach Boys CDs have you got? And I said, considerably more than have been officially released. <laughs> they went, okay, well, yeah, we won't worry about that. Basically, they were paying me a four-figure sum to listen to my own CD collection and write about it with almost no editorial influence except make sure it's not libelous. So yeah, that is my definition of money for old rope. <laughs> uh, the single drawback in that is I had to listen to every album. And I listened to it three times. I listened to it, I listened to it while I was writing, minimum three times. And then I listened to it again just to double check, which was no problem for most of the albums. That means I had to listen to Summer in Paradise three times. <laughs> and I don't think they paid me enough to do that. It, no. It truly is a horrible album. It, it really is, isn't it? There's a few good bits in it. I like the remake of Surfing. Okay. Nobody else does. I like Still Surfing. And the rest of it is from barely acceptable down to just why. <laughs> just why. And I can understand why Brian wanted nothing to do with it. Yes. Even allowing for the fact he was under someone else's influence at the time. Well, indeed. But you're right. I mean, not maybe the most, or the first, one of the main first chances, rather, that Mike had about reworking songs, or mm -hmm. how that he's continued to this day mm -hmm. and loves to do still. I know he did a bit of that with his solo stuff, but I think mm -hmm. uh, this was one of the first Beach Boys yep. things that really that flagged that. Um, but hey, 
So give give Surfing ninety two, if that's the official title, give that another go. If yeah, you're, it's you yeah. Know, it Carl saves it with his vocal, but uh, you know, yes, I I just liked it straight off, and unfortunately from there on it went downhill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the wave crashed. That's mm. where yes. <laughs> Okay, well, we'll keep going back onto the process in a minute. But um, what other books influenced you before you began writing this in in the Beach Boys world? Well, the, um, the big book is, of course, David Leaf's uh, original, um, The Beach Boys and the California Myth. Hmm. Um, got that in 78, and that was doors opening. It was the first time in a book form that the backstory and what was going on behind the scenes had been brought into public view. Mm-hmm. Um, got David into a little trouble with some of the Beach Boys, right? Um, but it also made him Brian Wilson's friend, which he continues to be today. And he's just updated the book, um, which includes the original edition, the eighty-five update, which had about five extra chapters. And now he's done as much again as an update to these days. Um, and I urge you to get it; it's well worth getting. Yes, even if you've got the previous two. If you haven't, you get three books for the price of one. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it's just that, you know, it's as much the story of David as it is of Brian, but because their lives are intertwined, that's not a bad thing. And it's also excellently written. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You can believe it. Um, that was the big one. There are there are other books. There are many other books. And there are very few which are actually dispensable. Uh, the only one I can think of, two I can think of, are Brian's first alleged autobiography, mm-hmm. which is, of course, nothing of the sort. No. Um, as I was reading it, I'm thinking, I've read that before somewhere. Basically, Landy, in the first half of that book, had lifted chunks from other people's books and just slightly changed it. Right. It was that bad. I kept expecting to see something I'd written in there, quite frankly. <laughs> I, I didn't. And, and I put this in the, the Beach Boys fan magazine, and I got, the, I got a legal letter from him saying, if you don't take all that back, I will sue you. Wow. So I just said, fine. I said... Here's what you've written. Here's where it was originally written. It was about 20 pages of photocopies. I said, anytime, anywhere. I never heard another word. No, not surprised. Um, so, and the other one, which is truly dispensable, is the one by Rocky Pamplin. Ah, yes. Who was Brian's minder bodyguard for a couple of years in the late 70s. That's awful. And it's full of lies and bad research. And, and it's just, ugh. yeah. I didn't buy it. I was given it. Right. That's, yeah, the best I way. still want my money back. <laughs> The um, timeline's a bit questionable yeah. as well. Isn't All it? the other books, um, basically anything John Stebbins has written, read that. Yes. Because it's well-researched, it's well-written, and it's funny. Yep. He's done the Beach Boys FAQ, which is very funny. But also you'll get information from it. Timothy White has done a book which is as much about Southern California as the Beach Boys, but again, is worth it. Sadly, no longer with us. Peter Ames Carlin has probably done the single best overview of Brian and the Beach Boys and then all the others have their moments and they have their little bits and bobs but and they're also difficult to find these days but if you can they're worth having yes I've, I've because there that. aren't anything like as many books I've said there are many but there are nothing like as many books about the Beach Boys as there are about the Beatles sure, or even the Spice Girls for that <laughs> that's still in print anyway that, that is the tricky thing when I've been um to... some of them are available on Amazon for some. Mm. Um, and there's one coming out from Genesis Publications next year, which is £945 in a limited edition of 415 Yes. Um, uh. And there will, there will be a mass market 
version later on. Um, you know, if people are going to pay that much for it, good for them. That's written by a friend of mine called Howie Edelson. Oh, yes. Who is, again, a great writer. Yeah. I'll be honest, I wouldn't shell out the 415 unless you really wanted. Sorry, 495. No, 945 in an edition of 415. Yes, that's so, right. Yeah, basically, almost except for the two I've mentioned, no Beach Boys book is entirely disposable, but some are. Yeah, absolutely. So, and it's a wealth. This is what this podcast mm-hmm. is thankfully covering and highlighting. Um, everyone touches on certain things, but there is um, mm-hmm. not huge amounts of overlap. So, uh, they're all very much welcome in the Beach Boys Library, as mm-hmm. I'm starting to call mm-hmm. it. Lovely. So, going back to the process of writing mm-hmm. uh, the the guide, you said you listened. You did it in chronological order. You started from surfing. Um, well, surf- actually, started from the compilation of the early Hype Morgan stuff. Right, excellent. Yes, so that was was that a lost and found at the time? It, at the time, it was lost and found because mm-hmm. the uh, Jim Murphy, the uh, becoming the Beach Boys, hadn't come out. No, but it was it was more than we'd ever heard before, and it was you know fascinating to hear how it came to be. Absolutely, yeah, really mm-hmm. great. And I was saying to Jim when I spoke to him about how it's you could hear Brian's first um, steps into the studio mm-hmm. and how he was yeah. learning, maybe yeah. even from that day. Can we overdub that bass later? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's him told, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Different in a few years' time for him. Well, yeah, but yeah, it was yeah. a great start. So from there, all the way through to Summer, uh, summer in Paradise, mm-hmm. for, for the or Stars and Stripes, I yeah. suppose, all the way through, and then into the solos. So was that how long did that actually take, though, in all, in all time? I think, because I, I, have a, I had a proper job at the time as well. Um, evenings, days off and, af- and afternoons, probably about three or four months solidly. Yep. But again, no hardship doing that. No real hardship until I got towards the end. Yes. I have to say, the, the quality declined alarmingly after 1985 album. Yeah, exactly, which still is very, very strong. I, I think Still Cruising has some moments. Oh, yeah. I love Somewhere Near Japan. Yes. And, yeah, the problem was they didn't have enough new material, so they had to pull in the soundtrack. Yes. Item. Yeah. And but people, yeah, people looked down on that. It was okay. It was okay. I think so. Yeah, the title track. Um, it's their last single to chart. There you go. It's, uh, sensational stuff, mm. and uh, something they obviously they sang around the campfire in oh, the yeah. uh, the TV special. Oh, so. that was wonderful. Yeah, I would kill to see something compiled of just that. Yes, because you know Brian was okay then. They were all okay. They were having great times. Yeah, exactly. The camera almost was off. They just mm-hmm. had, having mm-hmm. a good time. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. So yeah, but I, I can't see the whole show on that. Oh, I can't find the whole show, so that a proper release of that would be good. I've seen one of the episodes of the whole thing, and it's it's almost like a variety show with ah. the Beach Boys as hosts. Right, okay. <laughs> now you've said that. <laughs> Maybe not then. Mm. So you, in the book you highlight um, the, like the original edition was written prior to many of the releases, but yeah. certainly that we're getting now. Mm-hmm. So how did you write about the tracks and the albums that we see the light of date in these recent releases now? How were you writing about them then? I had to be careful because obviously I wasn't supposed to have these unreleased tracks. Yes. Pretty much everybody had them. Um, one of the great joys of the Beach Boys is not only have they got the greatest tape archive of any uh, band I know, they've also got the leakiest archive. <laughs> um, just, you know, hours and hours of stuff came out. And that was before the Sea of Tunes happened. And that was like, wow. I sort of alluded to it and also on several compilations since. Uh, between the first edition and the second edition, 
tracks were released. So I could, I could, in the second edition, I basically, it was almost compilations added and solo albums added. I, I, I said, you know, this had its origins in this song without actually saying I've heard it. But, you know, it's obvious that this is the only way I could know that is if I heard it. Yeah, um, the, since the, um, the copyright extension releases, I've written on the boards and I've sort of updated it on my website without any great textual analysis. I've just done a list of the tracks and then which tracks are new. And uh, which reminds me, I really have to include Sail on Sailor. So I haven't done that yet. Right. I've got lazy. Oh, it's um, not long been out. It's okay. But um, yeah, the, 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 the copyright extensions for fans are just you know, a godsend. I can't think of any other band that's done that except Bob Dylan. He's, he's up on, what is it now, volume 20-something? It's in the 20s, isn't it, mm. I think, yeah. yeah. But no, the Beach Boys stuff is it's great. Some of it is, you know, you just hear it, it's like, wow, why did they not release that at the time? It is a lot of, um, making a lot of people ask those kind of questions. Uh-huh, yeah. um, it is jaw-dropping, really. Um, yeah. But the whole span of the, of the band has been many questionable decisions all the way through. So uh, you have um, to wonder who somebody who listened to say oh, Dennis's stuff in the seventies and went, no, nah, we can't use that. <laughs> yeah. That, that's it. I think he really has maybe amongst all others um, yeah. really had a light shine on just oh, yeah. how fantastic yeah. he was and yeah. his songwriting. And thankfully, um, sadly he's not here to see it, but no. it's great that he's getting the, mm-hmm. the due that he deserves. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, it was skirting around the issue, but it, it was bootlegs that you owned and um, collected from that. So what mm-hmm. was the bootleg market here in England or in the UK compared to that in the US? And what, it's pretty much the same, actually. In America, it wasn't so much physical bootlegs as tape trading. And it was it was uh, almost like um, the mafia. You didn't ask. Right. You just talked to these people and... Eventually, they would slip you a tape. And if you didn't copy it, then you were in. And then eventually tapes would come your way. And it was, it was like that. It was tape trading. The, the actual bootlegs, there were very few before the CD era. I had at one point, I had the seven main bootlegs, which would be worth a fortune now if I still had them. <sighs> a very depressing quality. Um, so it was Adult Child, Merry Christmas from the Beach Boys, new album, and... Oh, California feeling. Oh, yeah. And then there was a uh, one called Made in USA, which was Odds and Sods. There was Landlocked, which was superb quality. And it should be because it was taken from the tape that was prepared. Um, Steve Desper, who I also know quite well, he said, yeah, that got me into a lot of trouble because there's only one place it could have been copied. And it was me and the engineer. Oh. And it wasn't me, he said, but that still got me in trouble. <laughs> and uh, there was another one title, which I cannot remember now for the life of me. So it had the girl in the bikini on the cover. But they were, it was basically the landlocked album and then two albums of bits and bobs. Mm-hmm. Come the CD revolution and be it being able to burn your own CDs at home, the, the floodgates opened with the Sea of Tunes releases, which I think is safe to say now. Somebody had access to the Beach Boys tape archives and basically went in there one weekend and copied the lot. <laughs> and the reason they, it really stopped when it did was they switched to 16-track recording. And there wasn't a 16-track recorder available to play them back on and copy them. So uh-huh. that's why it ends where it does. 
Wow, okay. Yeah. But there's a sea of tunes. I mean, you, you know about them and they're just astonishing. Outtakes yeah. and sessions and including the legendary Murray Wilson Help Me Ronda session. <laughs> of course, much, much discussed. Yes. But um, for those who might not know about it, do you want to talk about them a bit more? Well, basically, um, the Beach Boys have kept in their tape archive almost every session tape of their early 60s and 70s stuff. So you can hear the songs being developed and you can hear them just singing in the studio with only the headphones on. And it's, it's, it's killing. And I'm not going to name names, although I do know who it was. Over the weekend of one particular time, somebody went into the archive when the band were out of town spent 24 hours copying everything inside and then uh, passed the tapes on to somebody else. Again, I know who it is, despite what it says they were not made in Luxembourg. Right. And there's a series of, it's basically all the 60s albums in at least one CD, in some cases two or three, and the Pet Sound set was eight CDs. And then there's a couple of live sets. And it is basically the albums deconstructed. You can hear the recording of the tracks, the recording of the vocals, the early mixes, uh, sometimes the studio fights. And, of course, the legendary moment when Murray turned up at the session to help. And um, it didn't go that well. And, and Brian basically threw him out of the studio. It must have got... Well, it did obviously get so heated, but... Oh, it's worth listening to you just to hear how forbearing Brian was up to a point... And then Murray just goes that little bit too far and Brian snaps and basically chucks him out. And Murray retreats with hurt pride. (laughs) I should point out this was after he'd been fired as manager. Yes. And he'd been asked down. Um, And it's also very obvious that he'd been drinking a bit beforehand. Um, It's about 20 minutes of difficult listening, but it's fascinating Hmm. historically. As the interaction between the man and his sons and his his band and... um, it's easy, it's easy enough on there. I believe it's on YouTube, but it's it's just fascinating. And um, there were other interband arguments on the uh, various Sea of Tunes. Well. Nothing as bad as that. But you, the, the strange thing was, not strangely amazing thing was, they always deferred to Brian in the end, even after Pet Sounds. And it was like, okay, yeah, fine. It was good. It's 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 a fascinating series. Um, I think I've got about half of it in physical form and the rest in files. Okay, that's about forty CDs. Yeah. <laughs> Extraordinary. Mm-hmm. So that uh, he or they should, or should not be named. Were they doing it just for the, the good of the, the fan um, fan base and the community? It was something they could do. They weren't doing it for the, the financial reward. No. should also point out that in the early days of uh, the Sea of Tunes, it was put around that a uh, well-known author called Ron Fermanek was responsible for it. He was not. That, that rumour was put out by somebody who was once a huge fan and has now disgraced themselves very badly. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Dear smokes and mirrors there. To... Yeah. Okay, well, uh, we can just be thankful, though, that it, that it is out there and oh, God, yes. time's yeah. passed. Again, I can't think of any other band who has had their archives unofficially raided like that. No. Oh, some of the Beatles stuff, but there's still huge amounts of Beatles stuff that we have. I mean, Car- uh, Carnival of Light. Oh, Never, I don't no. think, will it? From what I've read about it, I don't think I'd want to. Well, this is it, I think, now. Time but has gone on. all the time you go... I mean, I remember the first time I heard the fire music, because I'd read all the descriptions, and it was like, 
Whoa. This was November 1966 and Brian was doing this. Wow. <laughs> and when, when you do that, you work back and think it's only a few years, months since yeah. Yeah, rudimentary cuckoo. Surfing USA. And, and, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And then it's that. That yeah. never ceases to yeah. uh, oh, amaze no. when you stop and think. So just so glad that mm-hmm. it moved so quickly for that. But yeah, you think think with the Beatles that uh, they've got such a tight lock. Well, they have always really yep, since it's so exactly. Yeah, we'll uh, await more when it comes along. I'm with... sure it will sooner or later. Yes, I um, think so. Usually, when the principles have all passed on, hmm. McCartney gives every impression of being immortal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, we'll th- be thankful for that as well. Yeah, so, uh, oh, yeah all yeah. good. So with those. Sort of tape sharing and happening. What were the impact of the albums going out of print? Because that happened for quite a while, didn't it? I think, and for quite the, a range of them as well. At the time, it, we just accepted it because mm-hmm. it was the prevailing situation. Um, even though Capital, in their infinite wisdom, in America, had reissued the albums, but with two or three tracks missing and different titles. Right. <sighs> And then, in what was possibly the most amazing act of pointlessness, they then made a compilation album out of those missing tracks <laughs> uh, and added the single version of Be True to Your School. Uh, and of course, we all bought it because we're Beach Boys fans. Yeah. Yeah, at the time, I mean, the, the albums were out of print. You had to get them secondhand. And they only really came back in print in 1990 when the, they came out on CDs. The wonderful Tufas mm. with the bonus tracks. I mean, that again was unheard of. Yep. Um, we bought those. We didn't buy them as much as I thought we did. I discovered a site, and there's a section on my website, which lists up to 2013 the pretty good sales figures. And the most that any of the Tufas sold was about 45,000. Wow. Is that. Uh, here in the UK or globally? It's, it's only in the US. Oh, US, right. Um, so it's only um, R, RWIA figures. But um, some of them only sold 10,000. But they, you know, for fans, it was like, you're not just getting the album. You're getting tracks that you've never heard before. Mm. And they were wonderful. Of course, it stopped dead at uh, 2020. Live in London, sorry. And then with the brother, Tufas, you got the, the 70 albums on, except you didn't get bonus tracks, although that was the original plan. And those bonus tracks have leaked, and they're quite easy to get hold of. Right. And some of them are great, and some of them aren't. I mean, there's a very good reason why you've never heard Battle Hymn of the Republic as a bonus track. <laughs> I see, and these have all escaped yeah. the more There's, there's a, a lovely story about Battle Hymn, the compilers of the Endless Harmony compilation. Hmm. Found it in the tape, ar- tape archive. And one of them rushed and phoned Alan Jardine and said, Alan, Alan, we found Battle Hymn of the Republic. It's going to be on the new compilation. And Alan went, have you actually listened to it? <laughs> and this guy went, no. And Jardine went, well. So they went into the studio, listened to it, rewound the tape, listened to it again, put it back in the box, put it back on the shelf. <laughs> it's... Interesting. I see. And that's about the best you can say for it. Yeah. I mean, completists would, would, would have loved it, but uh, I, I understand. I don't know. No. <laughs> there's, there's some stuff, as, as John Tobler once said, 
unreleased material is usually unreleased for a good reason, and that is one of them. Yes, it's it's, it's funny once, right? <laughs> okay, well we'll leave that there and, uh, and, okay. and not not wait for it for the next ones, but um, but a lot of these. So we those that were may have been on the the brother tuvers, mm-hmm. uh, but that weren't. Um, they still haven't. They've been missed out of some a lot of these archive um, releases. Some of them have no a good a fair degree of them have turned up on. Not only, well, actually, no. In the, in the copyright extensions, we've only got to about seventy-two, seventy-three. Mm. Some of them have turned up on those and on the Made in California six CD set, mm-hmm. and also some turned up on the nineteen ninety-three box set, which again was absolutely groundbreaking. It's the first time we'd heard any of the Smile material in context, as opposed to as part of the Smiley Smile twofer. But yes, there is still the adult child album still has yet to be released. I'm convinced that would be part of a Beach Boys Love You box set. Oh yes, I do hope so. Yeah. Um, and some of the outtakes from 15 big ones, some of which are very good, some of which aren't. Much like the album, I think itself. Um, but... That yeah, <laughs> I mean it's got one supreme track on it, which is just once in my life. Mm. That was the signpost to Beach Boys Love You, and it's okay. Is okay. And the rest of it is like, yeah, okay, fine. Sold a lot, but purely because it was the bicentennial comeback album by the Beach Boys. You know, it would have to be appalling not to sell. Yes. A full start, sadly. Yeah. <laughs> still, in the richer tapestry and the, and the whole catalogue, oh, it's yeah. still interesting. It's a thread. Yes. Oh, that's fair to say. <laughs> Great. Um, so when you're working through them then, you've obviously listened to so much Thoroughly, but did you learn anything about other certain songs when going through these chronologically for the book? Um, and did you learn anything from any certain albums from mm, the research? You listening to them literally front to back, day by day, you acquired a wonderful. I see you acquired. I acquired a wonderful feeling of Brian's development and how you know it started off with basic little garage band surfing and stuff. Then it got a bit better, and then suddenly. 63, he discovered double tracking. Whoa. And then he discovered the studio and how to use it properly. And then in 64, he discovered what's known as the Wrecking Crew. And from 64, 65, 66, it was exponential. One of my favourite all-time Beach Boys songs is The Little Girl I Once Knew, which everybody says should have been on Pet Sounds. And thematically it should, and compositionally it should. And, you know, that comes three years after Surfing Safari. And it's just in a different world. Mm. It just makes you realise that in those three, four years, Brian's creativity just exploded in every aspect. You know, composition, singing, arranging, producing. And it was almost inevitable that when he got to Smile and it started not working because he tried to apply... The process that he used on Good Vibrations, which was bits of the time and then splice it together. And it worked brilliantly. Then he tried to do that with a whole album. Uh, no, didn't work. Took taking too long. Um, and then after that, he just said, that's it, can't do this anymore. And wisely stepped back. But it, yes, it gave you a very good idea of the growth curve and the decline and then the various other ups and downs of the Beach Boys. Over uh, 30, 35 years. 
um, and also an appreciation of how the band picked up the reins after Brian stepped back in 71, 72, 73. I mean, Holland, there is more Brian on that than you'd imagine, but it's basically a Beach, beach Boys album, and it's great. I like Carl and the Passions, even though it's essentially four singles. Yes. It's got all oh, this is that on it. How can you not love that? Absolutely. And Dennis's two tracks. Well, that's it. Do you working through it and hearing it so mm. close together? You you mm. you hear Dennis's yeah. you, uh, um, rise. Oh, yeah. 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 You also hear the abrupt discontinuity of Beach Boys Party because yeah, right. Brian was you know headfirst in Pet Sounds at the time, and Capital wanted an album, and I don't know who suggested it, but whoever it is, genius. They just said, "I'll well, just go in the studio and mess around and put it out." Yeah. yeah, and it works. It works perfectly. You listen to the outtakes from that. They're just having fun in the studio. You know? Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing that format didn't really take off and other, other bands didn't copy it. I think it's because they did it so well. It's well, like, we can't do this. Forget it. Yeah. I mean, it's not as live as there are, there are overdubs. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's a brilliant album. But coming after Summer Days and Summer Nights, and it's just like, and then... With pet sounds, yeah, for sure, uh, astonishing, really. I think that the song selection as well it really drew from each member's um, fanship of other groups mm-hmm. at the time, yeah. and, and, and they so, also made fun of themselves, which was unheard of in those days. Yeah, on, on record with music, I know they they alluded to it with certain comedy tracks, didn't they? On, on the oh, yeah. book ending of, of, of oh, other albums, the comedy tracks. <laughs> I mean, the Today album is as nearly perfect as possible, and then at the end you get that. Yeah, again, another one of those decisions you just wonder yeah. why. Well, you also wonder why Capital went, yeah, okay. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, Beach Boys were the cash cow at the time. Let's not argue with it. <laughs> no, exactly. It's quirky, so that's mm. all good. So anything else um, learning from listening to everything? As you said, you, you especially after 70, sorry, 66, 67, 68, the other band members came into their own... Um, Carl was a late bloomer and didn't really do much. As you say, Dennis, well, just Dennis. Um, but the band working together as a band, Sunflower is a wonderful, wonderful album. It's the best group album they've ever made. And for, you know, for some reason it didn't sell at all, but it's now highly regarded. You just, you just got to see the development of the band and then in post-73, when it all just came to a shuddering halt and then they became the oldies band although they tried not to be they played they recorded new songs they played them in concert but because endless summer came out um the fans wanted to hear the oldies and you can't blame them um and people lay the blame of that on mike love and in fact the person who suggested they do the oldies is jim gersio who was their manager at the time. And, you know, they saw it worked and they, they still tried to do a few tracks from the new album, but it didn't work. So by about 1980, 81, they were basically the oldies band. Yeah. I mean, you, you, the, the, like you said, the, at the foot of their doors, the accusations are, are placed. But now listening back to On the Sale, sale on Sale of the live um, Carnegie Hall when... Oh, God. Which is fantastic, but on the a lot of the requests coming from the the crowd are, mm. um, yeah, for a lot of those kind of songs, and even on other recordings before that, yeah, people yeah. are, are you know, crying out for 
Surfing Some USA in the middle of um, Surf's Upset. You know, I'm not surprised they got annoyed. You know, mm. um, but you know, it's it's a commercial business, and if people are going to turn up and listen to a solid 90 minute, two hour set of your, your 60s hits, then by all means play it. Yeah, I mean, refreshing to they mm. would have had. Back in the 60s, much shorter sets, so those oh, longer sets would yeah. still be quite fun to have played all the hits 30 for. 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Yeah, it's astonishing to think now, never, yeah. me growing up, never experiencing such a short set. I don't know what it would have um, been like. Must have been... The closest I've come to that was I saw a, a package tour in Aldershot in 1967. Uh, it was the Walker Brothers, Engelbert Humperdinck, Cat Stevens, when he was Cat Stevens, couple of others and Jimi hendrix well i have seen hendrix live <laughs> i was 11 and all i can tell you is he was very loud but nobody did more than about four songs no that's... even the even the headliners walker brothers did maybe six um but still spoiled for uh... oh it was, it was great i mean i didn't realize the only reason i was along was my mother and a couple of her sisters were huge engelbert fans and i got dragged along <laughs> um people say oh yeah what was what was hendrix like oh, i don't know <laughs> He was loud. He was Jimmy. That's <laughs> oh, so yeah, before before he was Jimmy. Nice. Mm. And uh, then, though, then of course the, the the link with the Walker Brothers and, and John Moss, but that must have been a, a nice little link too. I didn't know it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Where in Aldershot was that? Um, it was one of the two cinemas. Oh yes. I want to think it was the top one. Right. I might be wrong. No, no, that's just more curiosity, probably. And nobody believed me until many, many years later. There was one of those part works. It's called The Story of Ro- History of Rock. Oh, yes. And there was an article about the package tours of the 60s, and they printed a poster of that tour. Oh. And down in the corner was blah, 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 all the shot ABC. Like, <laughs> Told you. <ya. Yeah. laughs> nice. Oh, it's good. I love it when I can do that. <laughs> yeah. A lot easier now. Um, oh, yeah. So you can't, you're proving these things a lot easier, but satisfying, I can imagine. It's easier and not because the internet. It's full of misinformation as well. Sure. And that winds me up something rotten. Yes. I can imagine as being as a researcher, you want the yep. definitive yeah. and you want facts and yeah. documents is the only way for And that. you go you go on Facebook pages and you say, excuse me, that information's wrong. Oh, who told you that? I mean, Bruce Johnston? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you know, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about, you know. Yes. There's a lot of people <sighs> want, trying to be Please heard. step outside. <laughs> leave it to us leave it to those yeah, yeah well, you rather not us I'm not mm. going to claim anything but um, fantastic well that's all good so in the book it's probably one of the only books I've come across that has a good and that's in the revised edition but has a really good review of a lot of the solo later work and the solo work mm. as well mm. but that was, that was important for you to cover and include it was and that was part of the remit again from Omnibus I mean we couldn't include that in the previous version because it was a strict 35,000 word limit. We stretched it to 37 and a half. The second edition was technically 55,000 words. I think we stretched it to 60. But yeah, we had to include the solo albums because they are important. And there was a truckload of more compilations. Um, I didn't include Endless Summer because there was nothing new on it. But something like Made in USA uh, had those two new tracks, uh, California Dreaming and the other one. Rock and roll to the rescue. Thank you. Yeah. Which I love. Yeah. Absolutely love it. Yeah. Great video too. That's it. Um, they, they could have been on still clu- cruising off. I've read some people suggest putting all that together rather than them on uh, yeah. a separate compilation, but an idea. But um, yeah. And so, yeah, the solo albums, 
if anything, they were slightly more difficult to listen to than the group albums. Obviously, Brian's album's up to date. I'm so glad it stopped before I had to review Getting It Over My Head. Right, yes. You missed it. must have been like Passing Ships, though. It's quite close, same Literally. year. Literally. Yeah. Um, I, I mentioned the Brian Wilson Presents Smile Live. I could just about get that in. But the album hadn't come out yet. But Getting It Over My Head. <sighs> <laughs> It should have worked and been a lot better, I think, with certainly with the names involved. The material was there. Unfortunately, they didn't use the original tracks. Oh. Except, I think, two of them. And I've had described to me a standard day's work in the studio when they were mixing it down. And all I will say is that there was somebody involved in the mixing of that who should not have been allowed to even be in the studio. Thankfully, it was before Joe Thomas discovered auto-tune, so it wasn't that bad. Right. I mean, that has been... The big problem with Joe Thomas and the Beach Boys is auto-tune. The live 2013 album. Mm-hmm. I bought it when it came out. I have yet to get past disc one. It right. is unlistenable. I, as far as I can see, it's been recorded on three tracks. Lead vocal, audience, everything else. And then auto-tune up to 11. It's, it's just... I mean, I went to the, the final ever show in Wembley. That was Phenomenal. Even after the, the mic fired, Brian and Al had popped up. It was just, they were brilliant. They were absolutely brilliant. They were the band again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I listened to what came out, it was like, what? It was horrible. Oh dear. It, it was... remains horrible. Do not listen to it. <laughs> the intro bit is good when, uh, with um, Jeff introducing them all. Yeah. That's great. And then yeah. maybe then. Then they do the songs. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but no, getting back, listening to the solo albums, I mean, obviously listening to Pacific Ocean Blue mm. and Bamboo was no hardship at all. No. No hardship at all. Listening to Brian's albums, the first solo album, yeah, that was pretty good. Imagination could have been better. And then the live albums. Uh, Mike's solo album, I actually like it because I bought it on the day it was released when I was in Sacramento. Wow. Well, why not? And I listened to it and I thought, it's okay for what it is. Hmm. Uh, it's some good vocal performances. It's got a Brian cameo on one track. And, um, you know, people hate it because it's Mike. Yes. Yeah. For what it is, it's okay. I think so. I mean, Paradise Found, I think, is... Oh, yeah. It's is, lovely. Yeah, yeah. Real high point. I think the, 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 the thing that demonstrates mm, best the problem had with Mike Love is everybody complains about the lyrics to Looking Back With Love, mm-hmm. which he didn't write. <laughs> Um, has he ever come out and said that like vehemently so people can hear him say that and realise no, that or not? No, no, they just want to point no, I fingers. Think, I think, to be honest, he wants everybody to forget that album existed. Yes, it does. Because if you remember in the campfire sequence, Brian refers to it. Brian being Brian. You can see the eyes twinkle and, and Mike goes, yeah, Mike, you had the solo album. He goes, uh, yeah, 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 we, yeah, I did. Yeah, very sheepish <laughs> look in his eyes and his yeah. face. Yes. Um, Carl's albums, we expected so much. Yeah, I think that's the problem, isn't it? And it was bland great moment so heaven is beautiful and the second album i think is a lot stronger i love giving you up and of the times the rest of it is it's aor stuff mm. sorry carl great voice but you gotta have the material yes but we all bought it exactly that and the live recordings that have come out since um one of his performances is very strong. Yeah, it was broadcast live on the radio. My, I think it was my father's place or the bottom line. It was one of the two. Yes. And yeah, great. That, yeah, come on, Carl. 
Why didn't you release that officially? Yeah, quite. But uh, yeah, and then, then I had to listen to Bruce's album as well. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Again, you look at the track listing. Okay. Mm. Um, hmm. Yeah, it's a real shame. I think it's just it was a problem of when it was released rather than uh, what was on it. Maybe you would have recorded it rather differently if it was released yeah. earlier or later. Yeah. But Bruce, you know, I, I have to declare an interest here. Bruce has been a good friend since 1985. He's a nice guy. And he's always said, you know, the Beach Boys are not my biggest involvement. You know, I just like music. And he's, you know, he's been on a, a single of the weekend and it charted high. And he's done other, he's done Skrillex stuff. He's never been anything less than polite to me and, and very opening and, you know, invites me backstage. And that's how I got to meet pretty much everybody else. Oh, fantastic. Mm. And he's such a big fan of the group, isn't he, and of, of the music. So oh, God, yeah. that really comes across and the love of that, yeah, uh, mm. really shows. Brilliant. Yeah. And his pre-Beach Boy stuff, um, the, the ripcord stuff, mm. Bruce and Terry stuff, great stuff, better than Jan and Dean in my personal opinion. And yeah. available on Sunday's records, and I'm not being paid for that. <laughs> Three great CDs. Go get them. Absolutely, mm. yeah. You're right. Something just a bit rawer and a bit rockier and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, far more appealing. And the voices work really well, too. Oh, yeah. Terry Melcher had a great voice, although he wasn't initially a singer. I see. How did that come about, though, with him and Bruce? And- I said Bruce just didn't want to sing, and he got Terry to sing, and he discovered that Terry had a voice. Right. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. This was released seven, or this one, the one I've got, the updated version, revised seven years after the original yep. one. But we're not going to see another one after that. It's all, no. no. Um, well, not officially. So many people have asked me about it, and it should be done. But the printed word now in that kind of thing is is very difficult to sell. I did approach Omnibus with the possibility of licensing it to self-print mm-hmm. and legally a minefield and also financially prohibitive i keep saying what i should do is put a separate section on my website of updates and corrections and i keep saying i'll do that (laughs) and one of these days i will yes unfortunately my current job requires me sometimes to work until 10 o'clock at night (sighs) that's a bucket list for when i hit 70 in two years time is get it done that would be great. Is is, yeah. it, is it written and you just need to put it on, or is no, it, no, okay. no? But it's all it's all in here. Yeah, so um, get it down on the sheet on the screen. But probably the um, corrections will be bigger than the additions uh, because there is there is much in that it is now incorrect, but was thought correct at the time. Right, and there is also in there one huge mistake, which is so huge that everybody's missed it. Oh, well, there you go. And I've left it in there for people to re- to realize. And one person so far has found it. And it is, it's a bit like building a house and leaving out the staircase. <laughs> it is a huge error, purely mine. And, you know, it's been there since 1997. And yeah. so far, one person has noticed it. Goodness me. Well, I can't claim to be that person, but I'm, I'm no. going to go hunting for it now. Oh, yeah. Um, if you find it, let me know. I will. But it, I just, I just, you know, it was pointed. I know two people have noticed it because it was pointed out to me by somebody else, and I just went, "Oh yeah, oops." <laughs> that's what you can do, isn't it? Yeah. But uh, that's you know that's fine. But hey, every other word is uh, rock solid and fascinating. I followed John Tobler's uh, advice to me when doing that kind of thing, which was 
imagine you're sitting down and talking to somebody across the table. It's never not worked for me. Even for the Doors book, it worked. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, it's just, you know, it's just two people talking. And it got me recognition on the internet when I went on the internet in 1998. Oh, you the guy who did that cute little book. <laughs> it's also been the source of huge amusement to me because occasionally I'll pontificate in the early days of the internet and some guy will go, well, if you know so much, why don't you write a book? <laughs> ah, well. And usually somebody steps in before me and goes, um, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good of them. So, I know. And so. to be fair, everybody's gone, oh, that book. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I would love to update it because it didn't, it needs to be updated. It's what, 2007, 23, 14, 15, 16 years. The update would probably be almost as long as the book itself with the all the compilations. And also there's the phenomenal 2012 reunion album, mm. which is about nine orders of magnitude better than it had any right to be. And the last three songs, it's just like, what? <laughs> and whoever came up, and if it's Joe Thomas, I will shake his hand. Whoever came up with the last sound on that record being the sound of rain on the beach. I defy you not to be moved by that. I agree. It's sensational. Mm. Great writing and the performance on it. Yeah. Sensational too. Yeah. So there you go. So there's plenty. To oh, there's lots more to do. And yeah. it is probably about another three, four months solid work. Oh, I'm sure. And I'll be honest. I don't have that drive and dedication anymore. People think I listen to the Beach Boys all the time. I don't. Last thing I listened to was the 2012 album about three weeks ago and I just said Alexa please play that's why God made the radio and I listened to it all the way through and it's like yeah, yeah it's as good as I remember it's still a bit soft in the middle but otherwise okay yeah. and as I said those last three four songs are still stunning yeah well it's the retention I think uh, of your knowledge that's perhaps why everyone thinks you're still listening and refreshing but it's all still there and uh, sensationally uh, you know delivered and shared with everyone I have a mind for trivia <laughs> can't remember the useful stuff like how to make money but i remember i remember i mean every now and then and it's not just that it's other stuff um the other day on a a facebook forum nothing to do with the beach boys somebody said i can't remember the name of the proper name of the dog and i just went it's called teddy and i just did that without even thinking (laughs) it scares me some of the stuff i can remember like that scares me yeah but it's useful well, it is, and certainly on a lot of the Beach Boys groups, to have people put right or mm. or expanded mm. uh, with information is, mm. is always interesting. I've, I've learned to be less forthright, shall we say. I've learned <laughs> to go, well, well, no, actually, you may be wrong on that, instead of going, you're an idiot. Although sometimes people are idiots. <laughs> they they know, they know what they read on the internet. And I went, yeah, okay. Yeah, blind regurgitation like oh, that. It's just, can't yeah, help. It's awful. Yes. It's awful. <laughs> but yeah, I... I I think I must update it. And um, yeah, before 2025 would be good. Just make a start. So if I, if I put one on the internet, then I've got to do the rest. Well, yes, right. It's the first domino falling. Yeah. 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 Well, we all, as fans, will look forward to that and uh, oh, yeah. encourage you. <laughs> um, but speaking of the site, you mentioned it a lot of the time. You're also very well known for being... Uh, not the website manager, the, the creator, producer of the Bellagio um, website. I'm more the, more the curate. Well, I, I originated it, but these days I'm more the curator and other people uh, give me information. Um, two guys in particular, Ian Ruston, who 
researches the gigs. And I mean, it's not a day goes by when he, sorry, not a week goes by when he doesn't send me at least one small correction. And um, Craig Slowinski, who sessions, um, without their contributions, it would be a very, very different place. Well, very different. We can thank you and them in that mm-hmm. case then. So mm-hmm. tell us more about the, the website and everything. In um, it. Well, it's called Bellagio 10452, which was Brian's house from 67 to 77. It wasn't the Smile or the Pet Sounds house. That was a different one just beforehand. It wasn't the house with the sandbox. <laughs> a photo which has recently turned up, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. I, was, I saw that. And it's amazing. You, you picture it yourself, don't you? After yeah. all these years and, and you think, oh, okay. It's kind of the same, but it is amazing just to actually see yeah, it in situ. Yeah. And this guy had it all the time and he didn't know. <laughs> it came from Germany. Oh, right. It came from his mother's fan magazine clippings. Wow. And of course, they all want to know, is there any more? And go, we don't know. No. Um, but yeah, it's, that's Brian's house, which now no longer exists. It was leveled. Ugh. The address still exists, but I think all that remains is the swimming pool. Right. And as it says in the introduction, I was surfing the internet and I couldn't find a decent bio, uh, discography. I thought, well, hell, I'll do one. <laughs> bright idea little did you know uh, and then I suddenly became unemployed and I did the American discography and then I thought let's do the British one hmm how about concerts and then I discovered there were, there were concert sites and originally the concerts stopped after Carl died and after that it was just summaries but I thought well now come on let's do this properly and people helped me out with concerts and this, that and the other. And then there's um, a list of the albums with vocalists, composers, and as best I could when they were recorded. And then I started including the sessions as best I knew. Um, some of them are obviously wrong. I mean, there's one which claims they recorded nine songs top to bottom in three hours. Right. No. <laughs> the, a- the American Federation of Musicians... Los Angeles contracts are great in that because they they list the recording date and who was on the session. Although that's not always accurate. Uh, the Surfing USA session. It was dated on a certain date, but it was actually handed in a month later. And there is some question as to how accurate it is. Right. Uh, but it is very useful for pointing out to one a session musician that they are not listed on the session they claim to have played on. Oh dear. So, yeah. But yeah, I, it just basically, it grew as an idea came to me, which is why the navigation is very clunky. But it's 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 useful. It helps me not to have to remember all this stuff. I, I know for a fact that several of the Beach Boys have used it. Um, in Brian's second autobiography, which is way better than the first, he talks about the tour where he broke down in, in the Southwest in 64. Hmm. And it lists in precise order the concerts taken from my website. Oh, wow. Except that that's now wrong. And to be fair, the original collaborator, Jason Fine, left the project. But before he did that, he got in touch with me and said, you know, can you help me in any way? I said, yeah. I said, use my website. And I also supplied him with every Sea of Tunes release. And then he left. He left it. There was apparently a bit of a disagreement. 
Oh, so um, he was writing it with, with Brian, Brian yeah. before yep. Ben Greenman came on. Yep. Oh, yep. right. Although okay. they apparently had the rights to all of the research material, which is why bits like that turn up. I mean, it's cool. You know, I know it's mine. Sure. Well, not mine. It's the sites. And um, it's nice. It's nice that they, they, they used some stuff like that. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's there. It's, it's quite highly regarded. So I curate it all these days and, uh, Everybody who has helped me with it is, is thanked in the various sections. Mm, well, that's very lengthy, isn't it? So it's great to see. That. Oh, it's got to be done because you know oh, yeah. it's, it's not my own work. I occasionally pull up something. Probably my best one is the the Al Jardine before the Beach Boys. I got in touch with Gary Winfrey, and he didn't just give me information; he gave me photos, oh. including a, a promissory note uh, from Alan to Dennis for one hundred and five dollars. Wow! But Along with Brad Elliott, who did the, the discography 6181, essential book, um, we both discovered that the, the story about Alan leaving the band to go to university was wrong. Because I don't know why nobody else thought of it in the preceding 40-odd years. I just got in touch with Ferris University and said, can you tell me when Alan Charles Jardine was there? He technically got there first because he phoned them. He lives in Texas. And, he, and the girl, he later told me, the girl said, oh, I've just pulled up that information for somebody in England. And he went, <laughs> Andrew Doe. And he, he went, yeah. And he went, okay. Um, and they, he was there from 60 to 61. So he went there before oh. he left. When he left the band, he worked for Garrett Air Research. I see. Which he later confirmed to me in an, in an interview. And where was that? That was pretty local, was it? It was, it was Los Angeles, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. goodness. Because there's a lot of aerospace in, in southern Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. That's why Murray's business of machinery did relatively well because they needed that kind of business to do their, their milling for them sure so yeah. another shrewd step by murray there um un, un, unusually so um <laughs> it never made him huge amounts but it made him in the 60s late 50s early 60s about fifteen thousand dollars a year which was substantial in those days absolutely yeah mm. wow um so al's never felt to really get this confirmed or rebroadcast that the, that story no, is, is no, not he, he just you know yeah, he was still every now and then say something and he has, do you realize we recorded this song and that song at the same session and everybody every researcher goes no you didn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but he, he did he didn't contradict anything i put okay because although he left the band in february 62 he kept in touch and he came back in 63 and he filled in for a lot of gigs for Brian. Um, they, Brian didn't go to Hawaii in 63. So Alan filled it. So Alan and David Marks were often on the same stage. Yeah, that's rarely, rarely um, told. But must and there's a, there's a photograph of a, a Midwest tour, which Brian's supposed to be on. It's not good. But unless Brian lost about seven inches in height and had a crew cut, that's not him. Right. Because <laughs> I think audibly, certainly later on, people celebrate Al's um, sound for mm. mimicking Brian, but oh God, yeah. maybe not back in those there early... Several studio tracks where we've assumed it's Brian and it turns out it's Alan. Yeah. You listen to the studio tapes and it's like, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> Fantastic. But you wouldn't have thought maybe those earlier tours, you wouldn't have nope. been there then. Nope. No. Still got the best voice in the band. Absolutely, yeah. So you've seen footage the uh, last yeah. few days of his performing. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. So mm. hope, hoping his tour comes here to the UK, that would be great. <sighs> I would love it to happen, but I don't see it because his touring in the in the states is very piecemeal. Yes, it's more of a hobby. 
Sure. And most of his money comes in through royalties and he still breeds Arabians. His wife breeds Arabians and gets serious dollar for them. Oh, wow. Okay. Is it a perfect life in, in Big he's, Sur? He's happy enough doing what he's doing. Yeah, good yeah. on him. His solo album is very good. I, I will enjoy revisiting that. Yes, that's another good very reason to do the uh, revised. the actual song, A Postcard from California, there is a version with Glenn Campbell on it. And as I'm sure you've noticed, it sounds a hell of a lot like Rhinestone Cowboy. <laughs> and as I said to David Marks, um, one of the times I met him, I said, I would love to have been in the studio when he played that for Glenn. And David grinned and said, I was. He went, Glenn's expression was something to behold. Oh, my <laughs> he said, word. But he was a gentleman. He didn't say a word. Well, that's uh, the measure of the man. But yeah. This is it. We, so many uh, opportunities to have been the fly on the wall. Oh, God, yeah. Um, but it sounds like you've, you've spoken to all those flies, as it were. I, I, I was a fly at one point. Um, when I went to Los Angeles for the second time in 85, the day before I... No, a couple of days before I flew out, I was given a list of phone numbers by a, a friend. And that's how I got to see Steve Desper, Chuck Britz, interviewed him in Western 3 studio control room. <sighs> Quite. Wow. Tick. <laughs> yeah. Um, Van Dyke Parks. Wow. Steve Kalinich, who I'm still good friends with. And um, the last number on the list was Bruce Johnston. Oh, and I called him before I said, you know, this is a, so-and-so has given you my, given me your number. Oh, well, when you get over to Los Angeles, give me a call. Okay. So I gave him a call. Yeah. Can you call me tomorrow? And I'm thinking, okay, I'm getting the run around here. Hmm. Call him tomorrow. Well, we're down in the studio mixing the album. You can come down if you want. Hmm. <sighs> so on the very last day of mixing of the 95, 85 album, I was, I was there. And that's when I met Alan Bruce. Carl and Brian for the first time. Sensational. It was. I, and I, I said, where's Mike? And Bruce just went, oh, Mike mixes by phone. Oh, wow. <laughs> Goodness. Okay. I finally met Mike um, 2009, I think. Oh, blimey. Well, at least you've, you've completed the set. I've got the set. Yeah. Because yes. I met Dennis the year before. Oh, wow. Thank goodness. Yeah. The only time, obviously. Yes, but amazing to have had that mm-hmm. chance. Yeah. So, you went over to LA for that very reason, or were you combined? I was no, I was going to meet friends in the, the states anyway, and I was, mm-hmm. I, you know, I went to LA and I met Dennis, and I'm thinking I've got to do better than this. <laughs> so, and yeah, that was that was it. In those six days, it was nonstop beach boys. And I also got to see an early version of the 1985 American Band documentary. Oh yes, yeah, wow, pinching yourself constantly. Absolutely, right? yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean. There was one point during the the mixing of the album uh, when something went really, really wrong with the tape console. And Steve Levine said, right, can we clear the the room, please? Brian went down the alleyway and into the studio, and I was behind him every step of the way. (laughs) Um, And he sat down and sort of looked at me and just went, okay. And then he started playing, and it was Rhapsody in Blue. Oh. And okay. It might not have been as good as I remember it, but it was perfect. And then he segued so smoothly into Cast Your Fate to the Winds that I didn't realise it for about six bars. And when he finished, he just turned to me with a huge smile on his face and said, I always feel better after I played that. And I'd been told not to engage him in conversation. Oh, yes. But I thought, well, he's talking to me. Exactly. So I said, oh, it's very nice, Brian. And we talked about nothing for about 10 minutes. 
and then the call came, you know, come on back in the control room. And I couldn't help but notice as every step back towards the control room, his shoulders tightened up. Oh. So, yeah. It was obviously didn't want to be there, but he was told to be there. That Luckily, Landy didn't come down, although the phone rang literally every half hour. Oh, blimey. Yeah. But that was a hell of a day. That aside, exactly. That must have sounded... Mm. Well, it sounded so easy. Just you made a call and then you got invited down and no questions asked. It's not who, it's not what, what you know, it's who you know sometimes. As always, that yeah. sounds a, just an astonishing yeah. day. Amazing. And of course, Bruce could have just gone, no, but you know, I yeah. said so-and-so gave me a number. Oh, okay. Yes, that's the gateway. I was going to say, because yeah. you were there, you, you'd written a bit by then, but maybe yeah. not, not really I'd, known. At the end of the magazine. Yeah. 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 Quite. Goodness me. Yeah. Hell of a day. Oh, just remember it so clearly. I can Still. remember every damn thing, but yeah. I didn't take a single photograph. Well, no, you wouldn't have thought to have taken the camera maybe that day. No, just um, I did, but I just, you know. <laughs> oh, right, no. You know, it's like, so. I was too much. I was just literally, and I, it made me realise how boring it is recording an album. Yes. You just play the same thing back again and again and again. Is that? Yeah. Nah. Mm. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, the, the inner workings there must have been yeah, yeah, something. Goodness me. And I still don't understand why they didn't release California Calling as a single. No. I mean, would Mike have got lambasted for that, for trying to hark back to the good old days? Uh, that was Alan and Brian. Well, yes, but I, I could imagine they would have just had Oh, that oh yeah, he would have got grief for that, despite yeah. the fact he only sings on the chorus. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, yeah. But it is, that was superb. But it was, it was a, you know, it was an obvious single. Yeah. Like Definitely. many obvious singles that they never released. <laughs> Are they, I don't know if they second guess uh, the audience or the, the public. I think they need then. somebody standing outside going, no, nope, not that one. Exactly, yeah. I, I don't know who that could have been for, for years. <sighs> it should have been the record company going, no, this is not strong enough. Well, yeah, they should know. But there we go. You mentioned uh, Ian Rustin, he of the compiler of performances and concerts and stuff and there's one um listed on on Bellagio on the website that i'm sure ian's touched on um this extraordinary performance that they did at a nursing home in leeds uh, here in england and that's amazing it was linked in with the uh, bbc and top of the pops i think but th- that's never happened before but what how did that happen do you know and, and why um well it was set up by jimmy savile and he, at the time, and for most of his life, he had he worked for hospitals or he had connections with them. And he asked the Leeds Hospital nursing house, houses if they, you know, he'd like to bring somebody and do a concert for them. And they went, yeah. So the Beach Boys were on tour, and he just basically said, "Can you come and do a gig for us?" And they went, "All yeah, right." Um, and they turned up and said, what should we do? And he just said, I'll oh, just bring a couple of guitars. So they turned up with two guitars, a tambourine and a pair of drumsticks. Um, Dennis sat on one tea chest and drummed on the other. Right. Carl and Alan had the guitars. Or possibly Bruce did as well. Mike had the tambourine. And they did this set. And there is a very tiny piece of footage on it. It was shown on top of the pops. I remember it. Part of a promo video. Um, the foot... I mean, being top of the pops, it's probably been wiped. Um, but yeah, it was probably the first ever unplugged gig. Right, um, yeah. And the nurses, at the time, their recollection was that you know, nurses were standing on tables and cheering, and they probably played about half an hour, three quarters. 
with just two of the guitars, a tambourine, and a pair of drumsticks. Yeah, it's an extension that they... I'd love to have been there. Oh, absolutely. And the fact they said yes. Well, this is it. In 69, it was generally considered a low point in the career, mainly in the the US, not here. Yeah, over here, they were still selling out. So that made it even more strange, I thought. I know that the audiences were dwindling in the US, so that kind of may have done it there. But here, it's just amazing. Mm. So was it the afternoon of another gig nearby? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't remember the exact dates, but it was the... Yeah, they did a gig... Uh, in that evening right um actually you look at the beach boys gigs there were times in the 60s when they played three gigs in one day incredibly and not all of the same venue some moving oh, no, around no, no, no. there's one i mean there was one it was grad night and they played three different venues because all the the schools clubbed together and got seriously good talent and um there was another one they played where they were at one end of a hangar literally a hangar and the other bands were at the other end. Wow. And they both played at the same time. It's a bit like the 14-hour Technicolor Dream, if anybody knows what that was. And, um, you know, you had two bands playing with the amplification of the day. Not much. But at the opposite ends of the hangar, and there was no problem. Wow. But, yeah, it was... Even when they came to England, they usually did two shows a day in the 60s. Mm. Um, and then it slowly went down to one show a day. But, yeah, that was that was... That's, that was... If you had a list of legendary Beach Boys gigs, that would be up there, purely for the sheer oddness of it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It, it still baffles me. It's, nothing yep. has happened like that since. Um, actually, I, I may ask Bruce about that. I don't ask Bruce too much about, what should we call it, business, the trade, because, no, he doesn't want to be. No, exactly. Occasionally he will breach something, and or, but uh, I will ask him about that, and he will reply... With all these new um, the, the box sets coming out now, things are still being missed. I think I've I've heard um, mm-hmm. Alan Boyd and Howie Edelson talk about they can only fit so many on so many discs. Mm. So do you think there will be one last sweeping release of, of bits that have been missed along the way ever? Depends how long the program goes on. Mm. Um, Capital could pull the plug at any moment. As, as I said before, apart from Dylan, which is guaranteed sales. The Beach Boys are the only band who have kept up the copyright extension release the way they have. And some of them are superb. The 67 Wild Honey, two CD set, and then two downloads. Mm. Um, Feel Flows. Okay, some of the songs aren't mastered that well, but the actual material is stunning. Yes. You know, it's three or four totally unknown Dennis Wilson tracks in that. I'm sure might be a subscription download pick your tracks best of the rest um i want the 15 the 74 75 76 sessions the 15 big ones caribou sessions and uh love you sessions i want that box set badly because i love beach boys love you you do. Yeah. It's, it's very, well, Marmite for the UK listeners. Yeah. Uh, I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. And then later in that year, you got Pacific Ocean Blue. I just fell over and died. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, and I was able to tell Dennis how much I loved it. And that meant a lot to him. He just looked at me and he went, you know that album? I wow. went, yeah. I said, I bought it on the day it was released. I took it home, played it and fell over backwards. And he just went, Wow. Thanks, man. <laughs> but you had to see the expression. Meeting Dennis was the, the force of his personality. 
It was like heat from a blast furnace. And for the moments he was talking to you, you were the most important person in the world, in his world. Brilliant. So where did that happen? Um, I went down to the brother offices and uh, warehouse. Didn't know he'd be there. Just went to say hello. And he came in with a huge bunch of flowers to apologize for whatever he'd done the previous day. Right. And um, the girl said, Dennis, this is Andrew. from. He's come all the way from England to meet you. And he went, hi, I'm Dennis Wilson. And I went, yeah, I know that. And he went, yeah, I guess you do. Um, and we talked for about half an hour. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Amazing. He said, you know, next time I'm in England, you know, let me know. We'll get together. Alas. Yes. Yeah. That was not one of my best mornings waking up to that news. No. That must have been ever so sad. And very shortly after the phone started ringing off the hook. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And not just fans. A um, couple of newspapers wanted to know. Wanted to know the Manson stuff. Oh. So I just put the phone down. Yeah, quite. That's, yeah, left unsaid. Yeah. That's an album. Those are tapes that will never come out of the Beach Boys archives. No. The Manson tapes. and They're still there. They exist. Are they they're classed as the Beach Boys? Um, I have been told by more than one person they are carefully misfiled. Right, okay. So yes. if you go in there looking for the Manson tapes or whatever, you won't find them. No, no. That's a, a good decision there, at yeah. least, for that. Although Steve Desper said, they're not that bad. That's the problem, I think, isn't it? Yeah. I think you, you get the idea that, it, yeah, they're all right, and obviously what we've heard. They're, yeah, they're fine, but they're a mass murderer, Steve. Yeah, <laughs> quite. Don't lose sight on that. And as, <laughs> as Steve said, we didn't know that at the time. No. Yeah, but we do now. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, these things just change. Yeah. Blimey. Well, speaking of change, how do you see the future looking? Again, this is probably slightly downbeat, but things are obviously winding down. As we've said, Alan tours very sporadically. Brian has his physical problems, as has been obvious recently. I don't think he'll tour again. Uh, the 60th anniversary didn't really work. There was there were no reunion gigs. There was the Grammy salute, and they all sat together for the first time since 2016, I think. But you know, they didn't play. No. It all really depends on how much longer Mike can keep going. And for an 81 year old, 82 year old, he's in pretty fine shape. I mean, I've, I've I've met him socially several times. He's in he's in really good shape. Yeah. And I have to say this about Mike. He's got a wicked sense of humour. Very dry. Very English. Okay. And he knows what he's saying. Right. Yeah. And he doesn't really care. As he said to me at one point, I was there. I know what happened. You know, he doesn't care. No, no. Well, you, you earn the right to... To not yeah. that or say what you want at 82, especially if you've had. Yeah. And again, he's he's always been never less than amiable to me. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's got to wind down soon. Purely because you know, they're all over 80, except David. And he seems to have taken things easy recently. Um, and what happens then? I mean, we keep thinking in the fan circle, what's going to happen when all of us fans are, you know, beyond caring or lose interest or will pass away. But on some of the message boards, there are younger fans who are very enthusiastic. Um, 
my god they need direction sometimes <laughs> and they usually take it and but they're very enthusiastic and there's a couple of guys who are actually working with Craig Slowinski on researching the session tapes and they're in their 20s and they're very knowledgeable and they they share that knowledge as best they can because they get the tapes from capital so obviously there's a a degree of uh you can't say this and you can't say that and obviously you can't copy them no but no the, the i think the future of beach boys research is in good hands Good. So is that um, John and Will? Are those the two? That's it, John yeah. and Will. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know if it was okay to get John and Will. Yeah, there. I mean, Will helped me out with um, a whole bunch of session dates. Oh right, fantastic! Which was bloody annoying because basically I had to go back through about five years and change everything. Oh, you're thankful, but, but yeah, no, I'm not. That. I'm, not, I'm not, I'm only joking. I want that to be as accurate as possible. I don't care. It's not an ego trip. I just want this. This band has given me so much pleasure. And has contributed materially to my life. That, and I've met so many wonderful people. Met some very strange people as well, but so many wonderful people. And that I want their history to be documented as accurately as possible. Beatles, you pretty much know what they were doing any given day in their life. Beach Boys, there's huge gaps. Mm -hmm. Because, frankly, nobody cared. There were points when nobody cared. And people are passing away who could possibly tell you. I would love to have interviewed Murray. Oh, yes. That would have been something else. It would have ended badly. But <laughs> You're expecting that, so it's fine. It would, from my side, it would, have been, it would have been huge fun. Yes. There's still a few people I'd like to talk to, but it's unlikely. Yeah, well. I know, never say never, but. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, I think the future of Beach Boys research and fandom is in good hands. I'd like to think there will be a definitive biography. Don't think I'll be around to read it, or possibly not be able to. But I would like to think I, pl I played a small part in the Beach Boys history. Oh, absolutely. Um, but well. yeah, it's it's uh, get back to it. It's the music. Yeah, forget personalities having us. It's just some of the most astonishing music on the face of it. My all-time favourite song by the Beach Boys, and by almost anybody, is "Wouldn't It Be Nice." Sensational. It's choice. just perfect. Yes. And when you listen to the instrumental track from the Pet Sounds box set and then the vocals, the backing vocals over it. <laughs> I can imagine Brian at some points going, oh, do I have to put the lead vocal on this? <laughs> it's just... And you listen to the, the actual, you know, when they're doing God Only Knows and the, one of the, the crew says, can we play it staccato? And it's like... Brian goes, yes. That's the way. That's what I want. It's just so much pleasure from that music. And that's what will stick with us. Oh, God, yeah. Good music is good music is good music. Well, Andrew, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for no, coming into so the much. studio. And I love chatting Beach Boys. Your wonderful book, which, as a reminder, is Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys, The Complete Guide to Their Music. Yeah, I should revised. point out that's not my title. That's the generic title. Yes, got to stress that. This is part of that Complete Guide Omni, uh, um, Omnibus, bus, yeah. you said, didn't you? Omnibus Press series. So if you like that format, do... Uh, check the other ones out as well but mm -hmm. uh, that one is though this show's book and again thank you once again Andrew. No, thank you for having me I've enjoyed it thoroughly there we go 
as great a chat as I fully expected with Andrew. It was a pleasure to spend time with him and talk all things Beach Boys. Turns out it was only about 30 minutes drive away from me, so uh, we had to do it in person, and it was great, great to meet him. And I hope you enjoyed that chat as well, learning lots from it and really uh, just giving a snippet of his wide-ranging knowledge that you, I'm sure, see on all the boards and on Facebook groups alike. Pet sound alike. And in honour of Andrew's favourite song that he mentioned in the pod, this is a cover of Wouldn't It Be Nice? I hope this does justice, Andrew. Let me know if it isn't. Um, but I've gone for the Wilson Phillips version from their 2012 album Dedicated, where they cover Beach Boy songs and Mamas and Papa songs, of course, due to their famous parents. So this is Wilson Phillips with Wouldn't It Be Nice? Quite a faithful cover, but wonderful harmonies on there again. Surprising considering the musical genes they have within the group. That was Wilson Phillips. Hold on, if you want to listen to it, not hold on. That's their big hit, their cover of Wouldn't It Be Nice. And if you want to hear this and all the other pet sound likes I've chosen, head on to Spotify, search Pet Reads, Pet Sound Likes, and you'll find the full playlist with all the full songs on there. And until next time, thank you for listening. Take care. Pet Reads is presented by Ed Main. The music is entitled Summer Sun, written and produced by the terrifically talented K-Jar. The artwork was created by the superbly skilled pen of Sar Mano. It's a Strike a Chord production.